Hey everyone and welcome to another edition of Drone Life News. Happily joining me as always, the editor-in-chief of DroneLife.com, Miriam. Miriam, how are you holding up? I am doing great today. It is like spring weather, 50 degrees here in New England. So happy. Happy as always to see your smiling face. Oh, uh, Miriam, you're such a sweetheart. I will say it is nice that it's getting dark post 6 p.m. Uh, I know I like that. The change Hallelujah. Up, right? The change <laughs> up is probably affecting a lot of people. I know myself included, but I think it's a welcome change because spring is here. That brings us to our first piece of news, which is pretty exciting, Miriam, because uh, you had foreshadowed last, just last week, that we are expecting some BVLOS kind of standards or a system to allow for BVLOS, BVLOS operations in the United States, um, because we are honestly one of the last countries to really take that on and have a clear system in place to allow for things like drone delivery. And as you predicted this week, well, we got our answers and we know what now to expect. And from what we've talked about in pre-show, Miriam, I would say that this is actually pretty exciting. So I'll let you take it away and tell us what was included in this lengthy 200 plus page report. Yeah, so this was very exciting. You know, uh, Steve Dixon had um, indicated earlier that this would be out sort of last fall. So we've been kind of waiting for this for a while. And what this is, is the report generated by the Aviation Rulemaking Committee, the BVLOS ARC. The BVLOS ARC was a group of more than 80 organizations, um, representatives from the un manned industry, the manned aviation industry, research, and also kind of commercial interests, I guess, who would be utilizing BVLOS flight. And they came together and they put together their recommendations for a rulemaking. Now, critically, we have to explain that this is a preliminary step. So this is the report generated by the BVLOS ARC. It is not a notice of proposed rulemaking. So what we hope is that from this report, the FAA will kind of um, – review it, uh, take their suggestions, and from that create a notice of proposed rulemaking. We'll kind of see what the timing is. We don't know exactly when that will appear. But this report was really interesting, gave some great uh, feedback on kind of what the consensus opinion was on developing rules for BBLOS flight in the United States. There were five key takeaways listed in the summary, and I'll um, list those. You know, first of all, it was kind of to take a risk-based approach to the regulation. Performance and risk-based regulation is kind of the global standard. And it is a great way of sort of future-proofing regulations. What that really says is we're going to tell you the risk thresholds that you have to achieve, but we're not going to tell you how specifically you have to do that. And that means that the, the rules can kind of withstand new innovations and new products coming uh, online. So that was number one. Number two was to allow 
automated see and avoid tools. So to allow, you know, things like computer vision and and um, other tools to perform that see and avoid function, of course, with flight within visual line of sight, the pilot is the last line of defense on uh, see and avoid beyond visual line of sight. It's different. So we're saying you, you need to allow automated see and avoid technology. The third thing, which is, is I think going to be particularly interesting uh, to your community, Paul, is that they did recommend that the FAA develop a BVLOS rated remote pilot license. So this would be something beyond Part 107. If you wanted to fly beyond visual line of sight, if you wanted to engage in those advanced commercial operations, you would have to get an additional type of certification it is, uh, I, I feel that it's a reasonable thing sort of as the complexity of the operations go up to increase the complexity of the licensing. I think for most commercial pilots are already kind of engaged in that kind of advanced operations. They're probably very experienced already and um, that's just sort of a reasonable certification uh, point, but open to discussion in the pilot community. The fourth recommendation was to allow drones to be certified for BVLOS flight. So that's hardware certification through an established clear process. And that again makes a lot of sense, really helpful for the manufacturers. Says if you're going to rate this aircraft appropriate for BVLOS flight, there needs to be an established, clearly defined process for doing that. It can't be kind of a one-off thing. Um, again, sort of a really great uh, great addition to the framework for BVLOS flight. And finally, final point was to allow third-party participation in BVLOS operations. Okay, what do you think? Well, I got have I have a couple questions. I know you mentioned that we don't have a timeline yet as there's no NPRM. Uh, the risk-based performance standards are kind of the, those systems like you said that are needed to future-proof regulations. I think you know that's important. Uh, do we know if this new level of part 107 certification would this are they recommending for a uh, a written exam, kind of like the what we've seen with 107, or is this kind of a more practical examination? I will be honest with you, Paul. I have not dived into that portion of the report. The report is over 222 pages long. However, it is linked in the article on dronelife.com. So please, I recommend to everybody always go read the thing yourself, go dive in and, um, you know, sort of tease out the relevant points. Okay, okay. And that's on, clear. I don't know. <laughs> well, I will say one thing that is exciting is, you know, one of the biggest hangups with BBLOS operations right now is that you have to have a commercial rated manned pilot who's an instructor, which as many of you know, there are no instructor qualifications for uh, remote pilots, but there are for various forms of aviation or general aviation, as we would say. So I think that's a, you know, if these rules do get accepted by the FAA, I think that is a reasonable alternative to having a CFI because it takes a ridiculous amount of money. Um, it's not really scalable. It's not really plausible right now. 
uh, to have that CFI in place. And I think that this could be a great alternative to that. You know, the automated sense and avoid is interesting. Do we know if there, you know, two questions I really have is one, did this ARC report have these rules coincide with the remote ID stuff? Because we know that that is up in a legal battle right now. And number two, would these new potential rules have any changes to Part 107 as a whole? Would you be able to fly larger aircraft? Is there going to be a system like TCAS where we can sense and avoid other aircraft? You know, that's kind of where I was going with the remote ID question because, you know, remote ID was supposed to essentially be that thing, but it's now being challenged in court. And so I wonder, are these rules coinciding with remote ID? Is there a sense and avoid, et cetera? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, my understanding of sort of automated sea and avoid systems is that, you know, well, perhaps they could be tied into remote ID systems. They don't, um, you know, they can operate without that because they're operating now uh, when we don't have remote ID um, implemented. So I think that those things can be um, certainly independent. As far as the pilot's license, you know, all I know for this right now is what was in the executive summary, which says that the recommendation creates a new remote pilot certificate rating to cover BB Lose operations beyond the scope of the extended Part 10 seven rating. Okay. So, and it's designed to cover topics associated with extended visual line of sight and shielded UAS operations. So. Very interesting to say the least. Well, should we expect then to hear something in the coming months from the FAA as far as how they will take these recommendations and implement them? Absolutely. So um, I don't know what the timeline will be. I really uh, genuinely believe that this is not necessarily entirely sequential. So it's not like, okay, this gets published and then they start looking at it and then they publish an NPRM. I think that they they have been working really hard um, in concert with the ARC. So I... um, I don't know what that timeline is. I know all of us are kind of hoping that it will come soon. So we will see what happens. And especially as you and I spoke about last week with the change in leadership at the FAA, we'll see uh, if that has any effect on the timing. Yeah, that'll definitely be interesting uh, to say the least. Well, Miriam, thank you for that update on BBLOS as we'll have another story later in the show talking about how uh, drone delivery is already being powered kind of by these uh, these newfound systems in a unique way. But moving on to our next story, it seems like the FAA is now opening up the door for more and more uh, potential applications or LANC providers. Now, for our listeners out there, Lance, LANC, yes, we are talking about the absolute worst acronym for anything in the aviation industry also known as your automated airspace approvals. Maybe we call it AAA, I don't know. But that said, <laughs> uh, it looks like there are uh, there's an opening at the FAA to allow for new Lance providers. I've got to say, Miriam, in the last year, I've really been using um, a new application to do this as it shows power lines in the area, which I think is a really useful tool. But anyway, what is the news here? Yeah, I think this is great. This is, um, 
you know, sort of demonstrating uh, the FAA continuing to sort of move along and open up fairly to new providers, new players, new service suppliers. So what they've done is to announce, and you can see the specific dates uh, in the article, what they've done is to announce that there will be a new application period for Lance suppliers. You do have to have a working product before you apply. So that is why they have announced it uh, a couple months in advance. I believe that the application period begins in May. Okay, interesting. So we'll see who those are because, you know, if you look at the list of Lance providers now, only a few of those are really available to the public. Other ones are really designed for sort of internal use. Mm. Yeah, yeah, well, I think I know some of the companies that uh, that you are speaking of. Well, in more exciting news, it seems like drone delivery is finally hitting the streets as well. If you live in the streets of Dallas, Fort Worth, you too could soon get, well, those nice little trinkets that you'd find at Walgreens. And I have to say, you know, if I can get some Sour Patch Kids and, and, a, and a Coca-Cola from a drone delivery, I will be a happy camper there, Miriam. But what do you have here? Well, as you know, when I was sick with COVID, I was so appreciative of the care package you sent me because I did not want to leave the house. So I'm just going to go with cold medicine, Alka-Seltzer, cold medicine. (laughs) (laughs) It's critical. No. So um, this is actually a really interesting thing. Of course, it wouldn't be a Drone Life News show if you didn't say drone delivery at least once. Uh, But Wings drone delivery is coming to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And what's significant about this is while Wing has been already in operation, of course, uh, in Christianburg, Virginia, and uh, all over Australia, too, where we see it in the United States, drone commercial drone delivery has really been launching in more rural and suburban communities. So when you introduce drone delivery into the Dallas-Fort Worth area, what you're really doing is uh, setting a precedent and saying, okay, we're going to operate commercial drone delivery. This isn't nonprofit. This This isn't government sponsored. This isn't part of a test. This is commercial drone delivery in a complex urban environment. And that's actually really exciting because it – it is a much more complex operation. And once we get this up and going and everybody can kind of see how this operates safely, it's really, I think, going to open up things uh, across the country. That is awesome. I'm really excited. I honestly just want every burrito place in town to be able to deliver breakfast. <laughs> you know, what's what's really interesting about this story, Miriam, when I looked at the details is that they are not charging delivery fees. Is this the end of DoorDash's hyper expensive delivery service where they upcharge you on every single menu item that you get and delivery and all those other charges where a $30 meal turns into 65. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I live in a, in a community well outside of anybody's delivery radius. (laughs) So 
<laughs> I don't know. I'm hoping it puts me in somebody's delivery radius <laughs> at all. And I'll willingly pay five bucks for that. But yeah, I don't know. I think that we will see the business models evolve. But, you know, as we've talked about before, Wing has been really instrumental in coming up with sort of new ideas like putting a drone delivery network on the roof of a shopping mall so that you can get anything from the shopping mall. You know, there are shopping centers and shopping malls and mini malls all over the United States of America. That is uh, part of the American landscape. So it is. It's also we'll see what happens. It's going to be really exciting to see how this goes as well, because I know, you know, this is going to be kind of the first drone delivery in the United States, at least. It's in a heavily, you know, uh, dense environment, an urban environment, lots of obstacles. So it will be uh, it will be really interesting to see how it goes. I hope for the best. I mean, obviously, I think it's going to be. I'll predict it right now. Sure, something wrong is going to happen with some delivery service, and I'm sure it'll hit the news. Drone delivery, drone falls out of the sky. Blah blah blah. <laughs> you know. I don't know. You know, they have been operating this for years, really, um, in other places in the world. So I'm very optimistic, not only a complex urban environment, but also near a huge international airport. So, Mm, yeah, and they have a few airports there in Dallas. They've got Love Field. They've got DFW. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be very interesting. Well, Miriam, I'm glad to see that you're still getting better and feeling good. And, uh, for everyone out there, uh, you know, say uh, say a prayer for, for Miriam and her family and every family that, that catches COVID because it is an ugly, ugly disease. But Miriam, thank you so much for, uh, for joining me today and updating all of us on what's going on. You know, many of our listeners out there don't know that you keep me updated on the news. So I, I appreciate it. Well, thank you as always for having me. Always nice to talk to you. Awesome, Miriam. Well, that's going to do it for us today. Let us know what you thought of the news show, what you think of these developments. I'm really curious, too, and I'll be posting in the Drone U community application about this new certification for Part 107 pilots. I think this is really exciting. It'll be interesting to see how long it takes, and it'll be interesting to see if it's practical as well. Because, you know, obviously, you know, in owning a drone school, it would be in our best interest to see a practical test, but I'm not sure objectively which method of certification would be better. You know, we've got check rides in general aviation, but it'll be interesting to see what comes up for remote pilots as a whole. I mean, this could this could be a dawn for, you know, new drone schools or existing drone schools. I don't want new competition, existing drone schools. So anyway. Well, I'll go back to where I started uh, many years ago, which is, you know, there were like 60 years between when the first um, automobiles hit the road and the development of the DMV. Wow. Right. And now every person in the United States who gets their driver's license has to take a written exam and a practical exam. It's all very, very well established. Everybody knows what to do. First, they go to driving school. Then they take the exams. I think eventually we'll get there. Hopefully it won't take 60 years. Yeah, hopefully not. And even, you know, well, 60 years to get those tests. But still, what is it, 112 years later, uh, New Mexico still calls it the MVD and not the DMV. But I can't answer that one. 
but anyway thank you so much Miriam for joining me again today and thank you to everyone who listens to the show supports the show let us know what you think but that's going to do it for us today thanks again for joining Drone Life News we'll see you next time